Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello and welcome to another episode of Shattered Lives, the Irish Daily Star's crime podcast. I'm crime correspondent Michael O'Toole. Today, uh, our chief reporter and I, Paul Healy, are going to be talking about, in general, the, uh, the case of eight missing women in the Leinster area, which were subject of a guard operation called Operation Trace. But, and we're going to mention some of them, all the women, but we're going to specifically be talking about one missing woman, uh, a lady called Annie McCarrick. Now, it's of interest. Last week was the 30th anniversary of her going missing from the South Dublin area and Gardy upgraded her case to that of murder. So that's obviously a significant development. Now, Paul has been speaking to a man called Alan Bailey, a former Garda detective sergeant, who was centrally involved in what is called the Serious Crime Review Team. We call it the Cold Case Unit, which was involved in Operation Trace and investigating the other women. So, Paul, we might talk briefly about the background to Annie McCarrick. Yeah, well, this is just, it's, it's worth reminding our, our listeners just to the basic facts of this case, because look, in fairness, it's been 30 years. Um, and it's fresh in many people's memories because... I suppose a lot of people knew Annie McCarrick um, and she was a very popular young girl and, and went to college here, spent some time here working in a cafe. Um, so there's a lot of people that still it sticks with them and it has stuck with them for 30 years as to what the hell happened to her because she literally just vanished off the face of the earth. As you mentioned at the top of, of this pod that she's one of eight women uh, that disappeared in the so-called vanishing triangle, which we'll come back to uh, in a bit. But they're all unsolved cases. Now, some of them are slightly more uh, explainable than others, but there there are a handful there that are just totally baffling and baffling to detectives to this day. But a significant development in the case, as you said, Mick, uh, th- this was a missing persons case for, for 29 years. And on the anniversary, the guards have decided to make this major public announcement that they have upgraded to a murder investigation. Now, the guards don't do that lightly. I mean, some people might have looked at that skeptically and said, uh, this investigation is being upgraded because it's the 30th anniversary and it's all just a bit of a public media show. <clears throat> to a degree, they might have waited until the day of uh, to, to, to give it a bit of a show, yes. But the guards, if they're upgrading this to a murder investigation, then they have uh, credible evidence that this uh, lady, Annie McCarrick, is sadly no longer with us and that, and that she is not responsible for her own disappearance, that there is a third party involvement. Um, and indeed, media reports have stated, and we are led to believe that there has been new significant evidence given to the Gardaí um, in, in, in recent, we don't know how long they've had this information, but there is new information that the guards are now following up on in relation to this disappearance. But just to go back to the beginning, Annie McCarrick is an American citizen. She was from Long Island in New York, uh, born on the 21st of March, 1966. And she's the only child of Nancy and John McCarrick. Uh, Nancy uh, is still alive. Her husband sadly passed away a number of years ago. She went missing on the 26th of March, 1993. Um, uh, now she had prior to that spent a number of years here in Ireland she she 
supposedly fell in love with the country after coming here in 1987 on a school trip and she spent a bit of time here going to St. Patrick's College from Condra and she was also in Maynooth went back to New York and then she came back to Ireland in uh, on the 4th of January 1993 and she was renting out an apartment there in Sandymount with a couple of friends she also worked in Cafe Java there on Leeson Street and uh, she, she also was a waitress in, uh, in another restaurant in Donnybrook. So she was quite well known around Dublin. She had a lot of friends and she was very active, uh, had an active friend group across South uh, Dublin. Um, so it was on that Friday, the 26th of March, um, that, that she had spoken to her flatmates and uh, she had expressed a desire to go to the Wicklow Mountains. She wanted to go out for a walk. Now, this was kind of a spurn of the moment type of thing. There was no indication that this was like a well-planned event, that this is something that she'd been talking about for days. She had supposedly said to a friend, I'm looking to go up to Enniscary, would you like to come with me? And a friend said to her, this friend had, had hurt her ankle or something like that and said she wasn't able to go with her. So Annie went on her own on a bus to Enniscary. Um... The last proper, like, undisputed sighting of her is at an AIB branch in Sandymount, uh, which is just before 11 o'clock in the morning. And the reason why we can say this is the last proper confirmed sighting of her is because there's CCTV footage of this. And people might recall when they saw the news there on Friday uh, about the... the uh, case being upgraded the guards have uh, reissued uh, a photographic still from the cctv footage of annie at this aib bank and it's an image of her with this brown satchel bag that she had with her and we'll come back to that in a minute but as i said she was telling her friends that she was going to enniscary and there is a friend or a girl who knew her who has stated that she saw annie getting onto that bus going to enniscary so the theory is that she got off this bus at Enniscary about half one or so and would have been in and around that area kind of mid to late afternoon. That is really the last we can say of her probably accurate movements. There is then another sighting, alleged sighting, of Annie up at the famous Johnny Fox's pub uh, up there in Glen Cullen. Now that's about a six kilometre distance from where she would have gotten off the bus in Enniscary um and uh, there there's been some dispute as to whether she could have made it up there walked up there um uh, but there is a doorman who was working there his name is Sam Doran and he recalls seeing Annie McCarrick coming into there was a ho- a hooli event happening this is apparently a regular thing and apparently Annie didn't realize that she would have to pay entry and there was uh, supposedly a couple in front of her and a man who said uh, that he would pay uh, for Annie to gain entry. Um, as we'll, we'll come to the interview that I did with, with uh, the, the former uh, Detective Sergeant Alan Bailey, who, who thoroughly investigated this case. But he told me that this doorman, um, who I have tried to track down and speak to, but he, he says this, this individual, Sam Doran, is adamant to this day that he saw Annie McCarrick. And he says, look, Annie was a good looking girl. And she stood out and he has a very clear memory of seeing Annie McCarrick. Now, others have disputed and said he must be mistaken about this because it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up because there is then a huge time gap, about a six hour period of time where we don't know where Annie McCarrick is. We know she got off the bus and then she's supposedly all the way up here at the Johnny Fox's pub. And we can't account for her movements in these missing hours. And that could be the key to solving the whole case. Where was she in those hours? But uh, that is the last reported sighting of her it's a little bit more shaky as to whether we can believe 
that it was because the, the doorman obviously Mr. Joran obviously sincerely believes he saw Annie McCarrick but it's different from the bus sighting in that it was a girl who actually knew Annie personally that saw her getting onto that bus so that's the difference between those two sightings but just one point just to say we can say with certainty that Alan Bailey who I mean I've known for a long time he's an excellent detective and he's an excellent reader of people and he firmly believes that Mr Doran believes he's telling the truth exactly yes um I suppose that is different from saying he categorically believes that it was Annie McCarrick. But, you know, it's important that this witness to this day is adamant about what he saw. And so it can't, I I don't think it can be completely dismissed. But look, there have been multiple investigations and theories in relation to this. And I'll just mention one. There was a a, a, uh, investigation that took place in America uh, by a a New York-based lawyer named Michael Griffith. uh, And he announced that he was investigating the case and he doesn't believe the Johnny Fox's sighting happened. Based, well, he 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 believes that the doorman may be mistaken, um, and and he has indicated that he has his own theory about perhaps somebody that Annie was dating at the time. Uh, something about that it surrounds that theory. There's also another theory which has only come to light this year in relation to an alleged serial killer, uh, a Spanish serial killer named Antonio Angle. Uh, who Alan Bailey had confirmed to me was investigated as a potential suspect in this case. And Mr. Angles was effectively on the run and Gardy had intelligence or had learned uh, that he supposedly came into Dublin port in and around that time on a ship. Um, But the thing is, this was thoroughly investigated and the guards and, and Alan told me this never came across any definitive evidence that Antonio Angles was ever in the country. And there's even a theory that he... Uh, may have jumped off the boat and drowned that he may no longer even be with us but he is obviously a serious suspect because he is a a suspected serial killer the other major suspect in this is larry murphy and we can go into a bit of detail about larry murphy obviously you've been reporting on larry murphy probably your whole career now mick yeah Um, but the reason why Larry obviously is a suspect is because of his modus operandi um, in that you know, he was jailed in January 2001. He kidnapped and uh, uh, you know, attempted, uh, he repeatedly raped, uh, attempted to murder a young woman from Carlow uh, in the Wicklow Mountains. So it was in February 2000. And you know, during that ordeal, he, he locked her in the, in the boot of his car and he raped her and subjected her to an ordeal where the guards do believe had uh, two people not intervened and and come across this horrific scene uh, that that woman would have been murdered and and I think in my interview with Alan Bailey he did say that he believes that woman would no longer be with us and probably would never have even been found were it not for that chance encounter by those two individuals yes they were two hunters and my memory is he was in the process of strangling her with an item of her own clothing when the hunters came along and one of them, because it was that area, <coughs> sort of Wicklow, you know, that area, one of them recognised him and he, and, he, and he did a runner and the guards went to him the next day and he was nice and calm and matter of fact and, and he was arrested. But he was seconds, it's probably fair to say, from killing that woman. So, I mean, there's no doubt that Larry Murphy's, and we can talk, we're going to talk about the other missing women because there's, he was, there was a fa- there was a, fa- a file sent to the director of public prosecutions in relation to one of the missing men- women about Larry Murphy, but the DPP decided no charge. But this man is a very, very dangerous man. He would have killed that woman. He's a suspect in at least one other murder. 
So, you know, it's only reasonable because it, it, that is his rough area. So it's only reasonable and that the guards would look at him. And the, there's also something just from memory that I think the person who the doorman said you offered to pay for Miss McCarrick into the hooli, I think there was a, he matched the description of Murphy. You know, it, it wasn't... Uh, yes, there know, was. There was an e-photo fit where uh, Alan Bailey did say to me it was a very badly drawn drawing at the time. But yes, if you compare that to a photograph of Larry Murphy, there are some striking similarities. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, he is going to be lived But before we, maybe we might talk about more about Alan Bailey, we might talk about the other missing women. There is, sorry, Mick, but there is one other suspect I want to talk about before we come oh, to Oh, sorry, that. go on. Um, there is also an alleged uh, member of the IRA uh, who is a suspect in the disappearance of Annie McCarrick and this is an individual who we can't identify um, but in relation to that this individual has been looked at as a suspect as well and the story goes the alleged story goes that uh, Annie had an encounter with this individual and that this individual may have overshared about his uh, let's say extracurricular activities and that there might have been a fear then that Annie uh, would squeal or would tell somebody uh, something that she shouldn't and that this individual um, un- unfortunately, sadly, murdered her uh, as a result of, of a slip of the tongue uh, thing that he, he said. That's something, obviously, the guards are going to have to look at as well. And as you said, Mick, you know, they're going to have to speak to Larry Murphy. They're going to have to speak to this individual as well. Now, perhaps the guards have a, have a definitive line of inquiry. As I said, there is new information that's come to light. But in any investigation, especially a brand new murder investigation, they're going to look at every angle again, aren't they? And they're going to have to talk to these people, uh, if not just to rule them out. Yes, and we'll hear from Alan, but he was talking about how he went into Arbel Prison to talk to Larry Murphy as he was serving uh, 15 years, I think it was, for attempted murder, rape and attempted murder of the lady in Carlo. And he tried to speak to him and he wouldn't speak to him. But back in the day, and he makes this point in the interview, back in the day, you know, once he said, no, I don't want to talk to you, that was really it. But guards now have this power called the Section 42 warrant. They can go into prison, take somebody out from prison and arrest them because they're in the custody of the prison service. So there is that mechanism now. I think it's probably fair to say, just reading all the runes, that this IRA man is probably the strongest suspect of everybody. At, from what we understand, we're always on the outside and we never really know what what is happening. But just reading the runes, the indications are... There's a very strong interest in in that man. And I believe he's living actually in America, which is a bit of a coincidence. But just from what I see, he seems to be, you know, the focus of the inquiry, not ruling anybody else, but there is a strong, let's say there is a strong interest, a stronger interest in him than, than most of, than any other man, really, even Larry Murphy. Yes. And I, I think, you know, maybe early on, there was a fear that Larry Murphy or indeed another individual was acting uh, in effect as a, like a serial killer. Um, and we'll come to this now with when you want to speak about these, these eight women, because it's important to, you know, Alan Bailey did say to me that when they were setting up this cold case unit, whilst they did look at these cases individually, they were also looking at the possibility um, that one person, that a serial killer was responsible for all of them all eight of them or at least a portion of them and that's why it became known as this vanishing triangle because all these women went missing in this particular area of leinster which coincided with with locations where larry murphy potentially could have been and they were seriously looking at him as a potential serial killer i i do have a list here and i think we should go through them i think at this stage in in most cases 
Gardy would have a very strong belief who was responsible for each either disappearance or murder. So we'll, we'll go through them. It was set up, it was Operation Trace, set up by uh, this, so far, how far back it was, it was in late 1999, it was set up by then Garda Commissioner Pat Byrne and, and was to establish all these missing women. So Fiona Pender, who was 25, went missing from Offaly in 1996. Now, um, she was heavily pregnant and there was a dig operation for any trace of Miss Pender in Offaly a couple of years ago and I remember being down at the scene there was a great level of disappointment amongst the guards because I think they were convinced effectively somebody had come forward about a man who's living outside the area now to say that he had indicated that Miss Pender was buried in a certain part of, of County Offaly and there was a very very significant dig but they didn't find her so that so Fiona Pender is one but you know that there is a suspect for that Deirdre Jacob who was an 18 year old student teacher she went missing uh, in July 1998 she was abducted outside her house um, we've been to the house the, the, the lovely people uh, the, 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 the Jacob family now like uh, Annie McCarrick that case was upgraded to murder even though it was a, a, a missing case missing person case that was upgraded to murder the Murphy was identified as the suspect and as I said uh, there was a file sent to the DPP. The guards were hopeful of a charge in that case but just I think it was last year the DPP decided that there wasn't enough uh, evidence. Essentially one of the main planks of evidence was uh, Murphy is alleged to have told another inmate in Arbor Hill Prison that he abducted Deirdre, hit her with a hammer Put her in the back of in the, the seat well of his front seat well of his car and then get abducted and, and killed her. Then there's a lady called Fiona Sinnott from Bridge. I recall, sorry, just in speaking about Deirdre Jacob, you know, I mean, Larry Murphy was a serious suspect in relation to that, so much so, as you said, that it. That, that, oh, yeah. Uh, and I believe he was interviewed in relation to it. Am I right? I believe they went, they, the, the, certainly there were stories, but I, I can recall being told that the guards did go over and speak to him uh, in an unofficial capacity in the UK where he's now residing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think so. Because remember, the guards don't have power to arrest anybody outside the jurisdiction. So they have to go over and try and talk to them voluntarily. But, you know, they have spoken to Murphy an awful lot in prison and outside. So, yeah, yeah I know, I do think that they had to, uh, they did try and go and talk to him. I don't know if he spoke to them or I don't know if he did it, if he gave any answers, but I'd, I'd be pretty happy that they did speak to him. So he was the suspect there. So in that case, Gardy would believe that Larry Murphy was involved in the murder, abduction and murder of Deirdre Jacob. So we know that in Fiona Penda there's a suspect. We know that in Deirdre Jacob there's a suspect. Fiona Sinnott is a 19-year-old teenager from Bridgetown in Wexford and she was last seen in February 1998. No remains have ever been found. That has not been upgraded to murder, but there is a suspect in that case. Then uh, Kira Breen, who was another teenager, she slipped out of a house. She was living in Dundalk in County Louth and she slipped out of a house to meet somebody in the middle of the night and she was never seen since. That was not upgraded to murder, but Gardy did again search for her body. And uh, Pat Murray, who's a legendary former detective inspector, was uh, leading that investigation and he cordoned off an area of Dundalk, just uh, near the train station in Dundalk. And there was a very significant search there. And I think it's one of the greatest disappointments in Pat's career. He has spoken about this, that they didn't find the body because they do they did believe her body was there. But then the suspect uh, himself later died. So then there's Annie McCarrick. Then there's a lady called Eva Brennan, who was 40 and she uh, disappeared from Terran Ure in South Dublin in July 1993. Um, now, she had been she had mental health issues, but her family are convinced 
that she was killed, that something happened to her. Now, there is no suspect in that case, which is one of the few. Jojo Dollard, 21-year-old, disappeared in 1995. Uh, now, that was in Moon, in, in Moon. I think that's in County Kildare. She was hitchhiking home from Dublin to Kilkenny. Uh, she was using a pay phone. Um, there, there were a couple of suspects. Murphy was looked at that. Another uh, infamous sex criminal called Simon McGinley who Paul you, you chased down was it late last year he was uh, officially classed as a person of interest in that Jojo jo- jo Dullard case but that case has been upgraded in murder my understanding is they have a suspect and it's not McGinley it's not Murphy it's a man who they have been looking at for quite a long time. So that's upgraded to murder. So there's a, a suspect there. Then there's a lady called Imelda Keenan. She was 23. She uh, disappeared in Waterford City in January 1994. And there's no suspect in that. So I think in all of them, in the majority of those cases, there is a suspect. And really, Murphy is only the suspect, the nailed on suspect, shall we say, for Tato Jacob. I think with most of the other cases, Gardy do believe they know who was involved in the disappearances and it's not him. Yeah. And I think the guards are probably more hopeful than ever that they can maybe help solve some of these cases. Uh, you know, then they have a better chance of solving some of these cases under certain circumstances than before. And that's because of the emergence of DNA evidence, which is now so good. And, and you'll hear from Alan Bailey about this bag. And I mean, it's only when we spoke about it that it makes complete sense because as part of this new Garda appeal, there's a particular focus on that brown satchel bag that Annie McCarrick had. It's never been recovered. And and obviously the guards believe if they recovered an item of that nature, um, they could potentially recuperate some DNA evidence which may lead them to her killer. Um, now, Alan Bailey believes it hasn't shown up because potentially the killer kept it as a souvenir. That's his own professional theory and we have to bear in mind that he investigated this case quite thoroughly and he believes it may well have been kept as as a souvenir but if they recover that bag they, they could recuperate some dna evidence and that is something that certainly alan bailey and detectives prior to him they just didn't have the luxury of that and and one thing also yes and it's a very good point about people keep uh, killers keeping mementos it's not beyond the realms of possibility but one one point about this you know anime carrick was 30 years ago we have had, you know, cases, say, for example, a lady called Irene White, who was horrifically murdered in Dundalk in County Louth in 2005. Now, there's, there are two men serving life for that murder, but that was cracked because a woman came forward maybe 10 years after the murder. So people do change and people sometimes aren't in a position for out of fear or whatever to talk to Gardy. But, you know, time does change things. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that there are people with information about all these cases who may now feel that the time is right to come forward. So that's one of the reasons that they appeal. And I can understand why the Gardy announced the Anna McCarrick case was a murder on her anniversary. You know, there is impact there. I mean, that, there's no there's no harm in that. I mean, they're, they're trying to solve a murder here. So, you know, let them out. But it's not... Some people do have, you know, conscious consciences. And, you know, things do get to them. And sometimes after a certain amount of time, they do feel as if they can't talk. So, you know, people may come forward. It's, it's you know, it's possible. It's likely. It's, it's Maybe it's there, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not the only case uh, in that week, you know, that has taken over 30 years to, to, to get to a, a, a conclusive point. So it's, it's never too late, you know. 
But um, I think I think we will we'll turn now to the interview with Alan. Uh, I, I I conducted this interview uh, earlier this week with, with Alan Bailey, but this is the first time anyone can 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 hear it. Um, and I think it's just important for people to hear you know alan's perspective on this and his expertise on this but also you know he was quite honest with me in that you know he feels it's one of the great failings in his life that he wasn't able to solve this case and you know my heart goes out to him in that because he quite clearly invested a lot of time and energy in relation to this and he just hopes now that this this new case will finally resolve matters so thanks for listening to us we'll turn over now to the interview with alan alan thank you for speaking to me just for for listeners who aren't maybe fully aware of who you are you were you were a a, a member of Angara Chiacana and you were involved in, in, in the cold case unit you were investigating many cases Jojo Dullard and, and Annie McCarrick being examples but just in your own words sorry to, to, to describe to people what it is that you what you did with Angara Chiacana I, I was, I was uh, in the Gardaí I served in the Gardaí for 49 years yes uh, the majority of that was spent in the investigation of serious crime in 1998 I was appointed to a a specialist task force to, uh, were looking at investigation, investigations into the disappearance of a number of females in the eastern seaboard of Ireland. Uh, mm. I served as national co- coordinator on that task force for 13 years. And then um, in 2007, I was appointed as sergeant in charge of the Garda Cold Case Unit. Yes. Uh, once it was set up. And so your involvement in that would have meant that you would have been looking at these cases from, from ground zero. You would have began at, at the very beginning of, of everything and, and, and looked at it from from the moment, as for example, the case of Annie McCarrick, which we're speaking about today. I mean, you would have looked at uh, from the from the very last sighting of her right up to whatever stage the original investigation would be. Is that right? Or just to tell us how that would work. Right. Uh, there was a... There was a total of six Gardaí appointed to the task force, mm-hmm. and we had six cases. We were each given the case to start with, and we then moved on to the next case. So by the end of our our study period, as you call it, we were all acquainted with all six of the missing person cases that were tasked with looking at. These included Annie McCarrick, Deidre Jacob, Giorgio Dollard, mm-hmm. and a, a number of other girls also. And it was kind of it was kind of colloquially referred to like as a it was a, almost a triangle. Is that right? Of of yes. the the area which we went missing, as it stretched from Tonnemore across the Dundalk in mm. the north and to Wexford in the east, and mm. it's known colloquially as the vanishing triangle. Yeah, because females over a number of years that had disappeared in that area. Yeah. And I mean, you were investigating each of these cases separately. Is that right? But did did, did you just come to a to any sort of suspicion that they were perhaps linked? Yeah, what we were what we were tasked with was examining all six cases individually and right. then to get to assess if there's any commonality between the cases. That's police speak for we're looking to see was there a serial killer involved in the disappearance of all six of the victims. Yeah. Uh, after, after a number of years on the squad, I can say that we were satisfied in at least three of the cases the, the girls knew the, per- the perpetrator, the person who abducted and killed them, because we had no doubt that these girls weren't just missing, they were actually murder cases. 
and I mean, I, I could keep you all day, but I don't know. I don't want to go into the ins and outs of the complications of, a, of an investigation. But what, what, what? I suppose drew you to that conclusion that at least three of them knew uh, their killers, as you said. Yeah, we yeah we were satisfied that we we could identify the person involved in the abduction and murder of these three men. It was a person that was known to them, but not known to one another. As in uh, an individual guard like Fiona Sinner down in Wexford. Yes. We, we were satisfied that we could bring that as far as we could with, uh, without having the actual evidence enough to bring into court. But we were satisfied we could say who the person, the male, it was, who was involved with her disappearance and date. Right. Similarly, similarly with Fiona Pender and Connor Moore. Yes. We could also say the same. And Pierre Breen and Dundalk. Right. But in in the cases of Jodo Dullard and 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 indeed uh, this case that we're speaking about Annie McCarrick, yeah, we 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 were never able to, uh, to uh, identify any one particular suspect. Right. There were a number of persons of interest who came, you know, during the course of the investigation. Their names and roles they were looked at, but again, yeah, I don't see any evidence. Yeah. The staff weren't charged them with. And look, I'm going to go through in the podcast the details of you know the history of the of, of Annie McCarrick and 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 yeah. what the known facts. So I don't propose to go through all that with you here. But effectively, you investigated this from the um, from the very beginning, and you investigated the um, the allegation that she was on this bus to Enniskerry, and then the alleged sighting at Johnny Fox's. So you would have spoken to all of these people that that would have said that they that they witnessed that they saw Annie McCarrick in these locations. And are you yourself satisfied that she was on the bus to Enniskerry, that she was definitely going in that direction that day? I, I have no doubt have the support to the witness that Annie was on that bus. Right. And the, the, problem, the problem that we, we encountered in the investigation was that if Annie arrived at Enniskerry village sometime around 1pm on the 26th of February, of March. Right. And the next sighting then would have been at Johnny Fox's, which is some miles from in a scary village. Yeah. And at half seven at night. So, so there's it's a... Those, it's those missing hours that are relevant and that are important yeah. in the investigation. And we could never establish where Annie went during that, during that time. So it's, it's, a, it's a mystery. There's a, there's a, a solid... Six hours, am I right there? Where we don't, we can't account for her, her movements. And we do, we do, we do, we do. We were satisfied that Annie did not deliberately leave, as in there's no push pull factor uh, identified. A push pull is very important in an investigation. It means that if someone leaves home because of something that's going on at home, or maybe because they fall in love and left with a new lover or something like that. But in Annie's case, there's nothing established to suggest that she left of her own free will. Right. Um, you obviously spoke to the doorman, uh, Sam Doran, who 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 said that he saw Annie in Johnny Fox's. Are you satisfied that 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 because there has been some doubt thrown over whether she was up at Johnny Fox's at all? Do you believe? Well, I, I'm satisfied that, that the witness at, at Johnny Fox's is. Convinced himself that he was right. Right. He came out of his own free will, and to this day he has stood by 
his information that any mechanic entered the pump that he saw and identified straight away. And he was a very good-looking girl. The girl stood out. So he And he is quite satisfied. Now, unfortunately, the one thing we don't have that you would have nowadays, you know, you know CCTV. Mm-hmm. No, and there's not a pub in the Ireland nowadays that would not CCTV footage of their clients going in and out. Unfortunately, back in the day, that didn't exist. No, and I mean, she was seen in the company of a male, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Has that male's identity ever been established? No, no, and uh, no, and it was unusual in that the, the, the doorman recalled that the, the lady who he said was Annie McCarrick entered and was walking in past him when he said it was, it was a cover charge, and that the male behind her said, Look, I'll get that. Right. They, were, they didn't appear to be together until that. But it, what's unusual about it is that. No couple has ever come forward to say that was us, and that was us maybe on a different night. Nothing like that. And it stood there, and stood the test of time, and nobody's come forward to mm. dispute. But you, in your mind, you're, are you still convinced that's a legitimate sighting, um, and that it should be taken as seriously as the sighting on the bus, for example? Well, the, the one on the bus, I, I'm quite satisfied that the one on the bus is genuine, because... The lady who made us say he was had worked with Annie in some of the restaurants in town, and she could uh, pinpoint that day because the day she came back out to visit her mother, who was in hospital, unwell. So I mean, she was adamant with her days, and equally so, the man at at the pub, the, the doorman in the pub, is adamant of what he says he saw. He did see. I mean, these people would have no reason to tell lies, but it's mm-hmm. just as I say, there is this. Lacuna, this this gap between Enniskerry, the bus to Enniskerry, and Johnny Fox's pole. And it's, we've never been able to establish where, if that was any fishing, spent those few hours. Right. So uh, we, we, we were satisfied that she didn't intend staying out. She went into the shop in Sandy Mud, yeah. into the supermarket, bought a food that she intended to cook up to make. Um, schools to bring it to the shop she the restaurant she worked in the following morning so the ingredients for them were in the bag inside the door along with ingredients for a meal that she was planning for the following night for some of her friends and from what we can make out so after she left the pub she went or the shop in Sandywood she went to the bank she then went back to the to her apartment in Sandywood but on the way back she saw the bus that would take her to uh, up to Randall, I think, where she get the in the scary bus. She saw that coming up. She ran to the house, dropped the groceries inside the door, and ran away. Leave the groceries just inside. She certainly did never intend to leave them there over the weekend. Mm. It's, it's it's strange that yeah, I, I just <laughs> there's a lot of unanswered questions there, isn't there? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, we also established that Annie had contacted a female friend of hers and taught that morning and said, look, I have an hour or two to spare. I'm going to go for a walk around Enniskerry. This was a regular fee, uh, um, trip that Annie took with her friend. Hmm. But unfortunately, her friend had slipped and twisted her ankle and I was unable to walk. So when, she, when Annie heard that, she said, look, I've got myself, I'm going for an hour. Hmm. So we that <coughs> That is that kind of spur at the moment. It wasn't a planned trip. 
Interesting. And then, obviously, now we've got this this new, it's been upgraded to a murder investigation, which is something you've been calling for for a long time. But it is. We, we, in the reports that we submitted in the year 2001 and 2002, we recommended that all the cases we're investigating mm. be upgraded to that of a murder as opposed to a missing person. And is that on the basis of the fact that, look, uh, with everything that you established, that she wouldn't have been someone that would have disappeared on her own, um, and and she had she had her mother coming over and uh, commitments that were obvious that led you to the the only conclusion is that she didn't disappear by her own hand. That's correct, Paul. Yeah, and that, and to this day, I'm satisfied and convinced of that. Right. You've obviously looked at a lot of suspects. Did, did, did you have, uh, I don't know whether you have in your head a, a number of people. How, how many people did you look at, I suppose, as, as potential suspects? There's a large number of suspects. Yeah. People with convictions for sex-related crimes living in the area, they would have been one of the first people you look at. And then other people come in, would come in, they'd be nominated by uh, people or they'd be, they'd, because of uh, an interview something that uh, stories you weren't quite happy with they'd all become persons of interest there are still a number of persons of interest outstanding and, and such time as they're all eliminated mm. they remain but they, they, that, that's they never um, never any evidence established to say that so and so and so or so and so was actually responsible for Annie's disappearance and death yeah uh, one name that's constantly coming up for obvious reasons is is Larry Murphy. Is he an individual that she's looked at as a as a potential suspect? No, yeah, Larry Murphy. Uh, the alarm bells rang when Larry Murphy committed the crime for which he was arrested back in the year two thousand mm-hmm. because modus operandi that was used. A girl snatched off the side of the road, and on the, without the intervention, the timely intervention of two strangers, I have no doubt that girl would be dead. And we never found her body. So, given all that, we certainly had a close look at Larry Murphy. Now, Larry Murphy's in custody. We went up to Arbor Hill Prison to interview him. Mm. He refused to be interviewed. And unfortunately, as the law stood at that stage, you could, that was the end of it. Uh, nowadays, you could go to court to get a warrant and bring him out to actually interview him. But back then, it was, if he, if he uh, agreed to be interviewed, he could be. Otherwise, no. So Larry Murphy's actually never been spoken to about this, as far as no. you're aware. No, and he, he certainly, until such time he's eliminated or otherwise, he remains a person of interest to the investigation. So is it your hope now that, with the information that you know, I mean, maybe the guards investigating now have new information, but do you think, yeah. do you think that he is somebody that still needs, Larry Murphy is someone that the guards still need to speak to They need about this uh, this particular case? He, he said they needed to, to, to be in. Traced, interviewed, and eliminated. It's referred to as TIE, T-I-E. Yeah. And uh, it's, that certainly needs to be done. If he's not in it, I'd be afraid to kind of fix my, all my eggs in one basket, but he certainly has to be eliminated or, or otherwise. Yeah. Would he have been, I, I hesitate to use this phrase, but would he have been your number one suspect, or did you have any one particular suspect that you thought that may be the guy? Well, look, we had an, an abduction in a Carlow town in, in 8 o'clock at night of a female, and that went completely under the radar. Nobody knew at such time as she was rescued, no one knew she'd even gone missing. Mm. And 
were it, had she not been rescued, I know that she would be dead now. So uh, you have to look at it, that modus operandi, how, it, how he carried out that crime, what he did, and the attempts he made to get rid of the, the witness. I say to Seth, well, he certainly has to be interviewed and eliminated or otherwise. Right. One last thing I want to ask you, just the, the, the guards that have now upgraded the case to murder, they in particular made an appeal about the brown bag that uh, Annie had with her. Yeah. As a former guard yourself, have you read into that any more than the obvious? Uh, do, you know, what, why are they focusing on that, I suppose? Well, but on today's standards, you see that that bag, if it was located at the time, would be considered not to have uh, not to be anything that evidential value. You know, mm. you could you would be looking for fingerprints. The best you'd hope for is blood stains, but nowadays that bag would have DNA on it, and you're looking at that. And it means something like that would be a, a goldmine <laughs> in evidential terms. And and they think there's a possibility that there's a chance of of recuperating that. Yeah, well, it it could appear that it may be kept as a souvenir. By her assailant. What brings you to that conclusion? Yeah, if you take it that if, uh, that Annie was snatched off the side of the road or went, didn't go of her own free will, well, the chances that that person who took her will be able to take, snatch Annie and hold on to her bag and all that are slim. But the fact that the bag still, still remains missing would suggest that if she was taken and the bag wasn't disposed of, that it was kept as a souvenir by her assailant. That's very interesting. So, I mean, find the bag, you find her, potentially. Well, I'm not saying to find her, but certainly find the bag, you have some hope, maybe. Yeah. Get the With the DNA evidence. It's fascinating. Well, obviously, like, for you personally, what will it mean to have this case solved? I mean, it's out of your hands now, and I'm sure you investigated thoroughly, and it was probably frustrating for you that you didn't get the answers. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a, one regret I have that... In, in the, of the six cases, we were, we were able to bring closure to the families. And we did take on the other cases and we were successful in them, other missing persons. But those six individual cases, and whilst we can, we can go to the families and say, look, in three of them, this, we're satisfied, this is the person who killed your daughter or your sibling or whatever. Mm. We just can't, we, we can't bring it to court. Yeah. So, for, so, so it is. Is it difficult for you personally that you didn't get to that point? Unfortunately, for it is. It is, of course. It's it's, yeah. it's a failure as an investigator on my part, and it's something I had to live with. Right. Well, I imagine you're quite hopeful now that the uh, the detectives are, are are taking. I suppose twenty something years later, but they are taking your advice seriously in that they've upgraded it to a murder investigation. I am. And my years in the cold case, you were subsequently. I've convinced you that you should never say never. So, Paul, that was really, really interesting interview you carried out with Alan Bailey. What were your top takeaways from it? Well, I, I just as I, as I mentioned on a personal basis, I, I I feel quite sorry and sad for Alan in that in that he quite you know as I said he invested many years investigating this and but there there are key elements in this case as I mentioned the bag the DNA that's a huge part and those missing six hours that he mentions uh, are potentially you know, the keys to un- un- unlocking this case. You know, it's also, it's apparent that a lot of people loved and knew Annie, um, you know, and as and there's still a lot of people out there trying to have this case resolved. 
Um, I just think, you know, like, like Alan makes the point that, you know, he was calling for this case to be upgraded to a murder investigation for over 20 years. And that was a source of frustration for him. But maybe now this is a, an opportunity for, you know, a new breed of Garda, I suppose. And with the new tools that they have, like the DNA evidence, um, to bring this to, to a conclusion. Was that anything you took away from it? I, 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 I would agree with you. And just, um, just about his regrets about not nailing the killer. We often think that guards are, you know, machines, but, you know, there there are always cases that stick with guards and this one clearly sticks with Alan Bailey. So just, and just, I'm really interested in the advances and if anybody does know something that had been holding the secrets for 30 years, maybe now is the time to come forward. Okay, so that was really interesting. I think, so this is going to be coming out very soon. I think will we do uh, another review of the week because they are very popular and we have to keep our customers happy. We'll see. Well, maybe we'll do one on Thursday. Okay, right. thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.